A four-year-old boy plays with tiny toy cars outside a modest hilltop home an hour northwest of Santiago. Santi points at the snow-capped mountains in the distance on the other side of the valley before running back inside, dragging his favorite car along the toy-streaked wall. Above the black marks is a series of old framed photos of Santi's father. In most of the pictures, as today, he has a broad, boyish grin. One stands out, though, a black-and-white portrait of Anastasio Raimundo Palma in 1980, when he was 19 years old. He glares into the camera lens. He tells me it was taken half an hour after he was electrocuted and waterboarded by the Chilean military. You are naked. They put all with sacks on top of your body. And here comes the beating. After that, they take the weight back off and they put a current of 12 volts on your body. To this day, I have marks on my legs, testicles, everywhere. They take your fingernails out. Now 54 years old, Palma describes other abuses at the hands of the army, also chronicled in government-commissioned reports. Rats put in the food, being forced to eat his own vomit, tormented with mock executions. Palma's friend, Carlos Ortega, nods his head as he listens to the graphic account. He, too, has similar stories. Its treatment both want publicized. They say they were victims of Augusto Pinochet's military, which seized power in a coup d'etat on September 11, 1973. Palma and Ortega are now seeking compensation from the Chilean government. But it's a hard case to make. They were not political opponents of the Pinochet regime, they were part of it. Soldiers in the despot's army, a military responsible for the torture and detention of at least 40,000 people and for the disappearance or killing of more than 3,000 individuals over the course of Pinochet's 17-year rule. We were victims. We didn't do military service for the pleasure of it. Sure, some people were looking forward to military service. They couldn't wait to be recruited. They stayed and today they are pensioners, or ready for a pension. But they were just a few. But the rest of us were under obligation. We were there because it was the law. Because otherwise we went to prison. During their mandatory military service, Palma and Ortega say torture was used as a form of discipline and punishment for the amusement of their superiors or as preparation in case they were ever taken as prisoners of war. Today, they're not alone in claiming to be victims of the military of which they were a part. On the outskirts of Santiago, Ruben Cornejo addresses about 100 men aged between 50 and 60 years old. They sit on wooden stands in an old-school gym, sipping tea from styrofoam cups. He's the president of one of Chile's half a dozen ex-conscript organizations. Cornejo says together they represent tens of thousands of ex-soldiers who were drafted between 1973 and 1990 
After the meeting, Cornejo takes me to his small, crowded office. He wants to tell me about his time in Pinochet's army. I began service in September 1974 in the Chacabuco concentration camp, where political prisoners were being mistreated. That's where I suffered too. The corporal beat me for sharing my food with a prisoner. We were not allowed to, to give anybody food. But I saw that he was starving, so... And an officer caught me. Cornejo says he's often still in pain. Like Palma and Ortega, he points out he was a teenager at the time, carrying out mandatory military service. He admits that some conscripts took part in human rights abuses. Some have confessed to torturing and killing prisoners. Many delivered captives to detention centers where they would be tortured and often murdered. Conscripts typically helped dispose of the bodies too. Being on the bottom rung of the military hierarchy, Cornejo says, they had to follow orders. We had no choice. So I say some were responsible for accepting something that was forced on us. We were forced to obey the orders of the captains, lieutenants and officers. They forced us to do things. Cornejo won't go on to specify what those things were. Instead, there's talk of rounding up civilians during which other soldiers were violent or where a colleague went too far when enforcing a curfew. The decision to murder these young officers must have been taken very quickly because... The phrase, I was only following orders, has been used to defend accused war criminals for centuries, most memorably at the Nuremberg trials after the Second World War. The International Military Tribunal sentences you to death by hanging. The defense failed to shield German soldiers from prosecution. It also failed to defend the U.S. military in Vietnam, and it has failed to defend soldiers in Chile. The courts have found again and again that following illegal orders relieves no one from personal responsibility. Chile's judges investigating human rights crimes have targeted high-level officers. So, though most low-level troops and conscripts have avoided trial, they've never been acquitted in the court of public opinion. In the huge, sprawling General Cemetery of Central Santiago, relatives shout out the names of those who disappeared under the Pinochet regime, declaring them present, now and forever. It's a mixture of anger and grief as a hundred or so people place flowers on graves with black iron crosses to mark the International Day of Disappeared Detainees. Faded photos of a missing husband, son, wife or sister hang around the necks of mourners. They lament that decades later, the majority of the missing have never been found. Standing on an outdoor stage, Lorena Pissarro condemns those who played a part in the killing of political prisoners under Pinochet's regime, and who continue to walk free today. After the public gathering, Pissarro takes me inside the cavernous building where she runs the group Families of Disappeared Detainees. As a child, she remembers having to secretly move from place to place. Her parents were Communist Party members and under constant surveillance. 
eh, ir, ir por la calle y acercarse, insultarnos, amenazar. For years, they call us on the phone. Agents of the dictatorship accosted us in the street, insulted us and threatened us. I remember one morning my parents and my three brothers. We woke up and we saw four graves dug out in our front yard. One large and three small ones with crosses. Not long after, when Pizarro was 10 years old, her father disappeared and was never seen again. A few days after my father disappeared, we lodged an appeal in the Court of Justice, and I remember being in that building as a little girl. En ese edificio que me recuerdo de niña era que un edificio tan helado, tan frío. The building was so cold, it was freezing, and I felt this enormous anguish waiting for news. But the people working there seemed so far away. I was hoping they would have a modicum of sensitivity. But no one there had any sensitivity. More than three decades later, Pissarro has seen successive governments do little to extract information from veterans of the military regime. Now she's contemptuous of those soldiers who not only demand compensation, but refuse to divulge what they know of the fate of the disappeared. So the dictatorship ends in 1990, and they never cooperated with the judiciary, never provided information, never. Then they reappear, declaring themselves as victims, saying they had to obey orders, asking for economic indemnity. And in some kind of schizophrenia of state terrorism, they transformed themselves from victimizers into victims. Pissarro and other family members say ex-conscripts continue to take part in a pact of silence. They have never given the names of those who gave the orders or anything. The fear that we have is that if, if we deliver information... We will not have protection from prosecution. And no one is saying, if you provide us with the information, you won't be prosecuted. We are going to be blamed for something that we did not do. But in some ways, we were also to blame. I say we are guilty because we participated and we were complicit in what happened in the days of the dictatorship. I have yet to come across the case where someone's gotten close to revealing their involvement or participation in a crime against humanity. There are obvious reasons for that. Leith Passmore is a historian at the University of Chile. He's writing a book about military service under Pinochet and has been talking to ex-conscripts up and down the country for the past two years. They're quite aware of efforts to prosecute people for crimes against humanity. More importantly, perhaps, the they're the exception, I think. The well-known crimes against humanity that were committed overwhelmingly by the intelligence services, not by conscripts. There are stories and reports and testimony of people being involved to some degree, transporting people, knowing what they were doing, where they were going, having to listen to things that were going on in the barracks alongside them, having to guard prisoners, having to uh, beat prisoners even. But in terms of the the interrogations, 
and the uh, the crimes against humanity that have been prosecuted, and the disappearances, and the extrajudicial executions, that really wasn't the purview of the military conscript at the time. I have not seen never in them a gesture of repentance. Because obedience ends when one also has the discretion to say whether this is correct or not. Okay, many will say, but his superior had a gun and he had to obey orders. But they have had 40 years to tell the truth. Pissarro wants ex-soldiers to be held accountable rather than compensated. But in the past few years, former conscripts have had an audience with politicians in the capital. Conejo shows me the photos and correspondence resulting from his group's lobbying of Sebastian Piñera, the former president. Letters from before he was elected. This is a commitment made by Sebastian Piñera and Rodrigo Hispeter, where they pledge for the government to develop a project for reparations for us. Cornejo lays out their grievances, ranging from failure to pay salaries and pensions to compensation for human rights abuses. In March of 2013, then-President Piñera made a largely unnoticed offer of 40 million U.S. dollars to ex-conscripts. It was something Cornejo and his group rejected out of hand as a paltry figure, when divided by the almost 400,000 ex-conscripts who served during the 17 years of Pinochet's rule, many of whom were, and are, from poor and low-income families. That money does not include anything. It only provides a kind of one-time bonus. And what we're asking for the government is for more benefits. We want access to better health care plans, uh, uh, proper pensions. Confident they can obtain more from the government, Cornejo has decided to wait and hope the campaign can overcome opposition from victims' families. They know public sympathy is limited though there are some surprising exceptions, such as the widow of Victor Jara, Chile's beloved folk singer and Communist Party member. Jara sang protest songs against the ruling elite in the 1960s and became a strong supporter of socialist president Salvador Allende, who was deposed when troops loyal to Pinochet bombed government buildings on September 11, 1973. Just hours after the coup, Hara was abducted and taken to a sports stadium in Santiago, which had been turned into a prison and torture center. He was beaten, electrocuted and tortured before he was shot to death. Days later, Joan Turner Hara found his body. I entered the city morgue and September, in the 18th of September 1973, and I saw those heaps of bodies. I see a sight I've never forgotten, heaps and heaps of bodies. And many of those bodies were never identified, and they were put into a common grave. Victor was rescued from that. Hara's body was found with 44 bullet wounds from a conscript's machine gun. So it seemed a closed case. Jose Paredes, the conscript who guarded Hara, confessed to killing him. But doubts remained. Paredes later withdrew his confession, 
and started to talk. He was uh, became a very important witness in the case. In 2009, forensic specialists confirmed that Hara was killed with a pistol used by an officer before his body was shot with one or more machine guns as a ruse to implicate conscripts. Charges were finally laid against eight former officers in 2012. We are grateful for his testimony and other conscripts confirmed confirmed his testimony. It became obvious the, the damage that had been done to these these young men who were 22-year-olds or even less, I mean, between 20, 20-year-olds, 20 who had become involved in the crimes. Uh, many of them are, are very, very frightened to speak. Um, those that are brave enough to speak actually become very fearful after they've given their testimony but they feel they're watched they they have been sworn to secrecy by their former officers as sympathetic as Turner Hara is to some of the soldiers she opposes indemnity for all ex-conscripts and yet in the red carpeted corridors of power the ex-conscript campaign forges ahead. Ruben Cornejo and other representatives are at work, negotiating in the gilded rooms of the Senate. The former conscripts engaged with Socialist Party members months before the elections late last year, which brought Michel Bachelet to power. Senator Alejandro Navarro of the Socialist Party is convinced. They served prolonged periods of mandatory military service to one, two, or three years, during which time they received little or no pay or pension. I hope the bachelor government will compensate the ex-conscripts, including for mental and physical damage, just as it compensated political prisoners and victims of torture. I'm glad. I'm leaving the Senate happy today because we got the kind of answer that we want to hear. More confident than ever, Cornejo believes they'll receive the reparations they've been fighting for. That's in spite of the fact that President Bachelet herself, along with her mother, were held as political prisoners in one of Pinochet's concentration camps. So you can't take the, the human damage out of this story. You know, everyone's damaged to a greater or a lesser degree. Kath Collins is director of the Human Rights Observatory at the University of Diego Portales in Santiago and professor of transitional justice at the University of Ulster, Northern Ireland. So if you said to me, you know, were the conscripts victims of their own institution? Yes, they were. Were they victims of circumstance? Yes, they were. Were they also perpetrators of serious and less, more and less serious crimes against humanity and human rights violations? Yes, almost certainly they also were. So, so it's an, again, that makes them the uncomfortable category because it's where this binary opposition of brave, noble victim or survivor and terrible, appalling, evil perpetrator kind of join up and it's suddenly it's the same person. And we have to acknowledge the essential ambiguity that someone can be a victim and a perpetrator at the same time. And that's not a comfortable ambiguity.
y repite, vamos, vamos, a matar, a matar, boliviano, boliviano, a peruano. Back in the hills of Omwe, northwest of Santiago, Carlos Ortega recalls the slogans he and Anastasio Palma used to sing during military drills as young soldiers. Que nos prepararon para interactuándose con... con Back then, there was no talk of actually going to war with Argentina. But every day we marched. We went for a jog repeating the chorus. Go kill Argentines, Argentines, Bolivians, dismember the Bolivians. That was the song of every day. What is happening till this day? We get together because we suffer a lot. We are like brothers. We gather to talk and remember, but not to remember good times, but to remember bad times. And we have said that our kids, we won't accept that they go through the same experience. I have some pictures to remember, and they all have stories. And I will show them to my son, who I was and what I lived. Pero rencor no queda. Lo que tengo claro y sumamente claro es que fui utilizado por Pinochet y por su camarilla de delincuentes para hacer la labor de represión. What's clear is that I was used by Pinochet and his gang of criminals to do the work of repression against my will, against my own family. I have family persecuted, and that has to be paid for. There must be justice for that, to me and to all who were in it. ¿Qué es lo que han hecho para que aquello que hicieron Okay, they were conscripts. We cannot deny that their lives were in danger. But what have they done to make up for what they did? Nothing. All they have done is to say, I killed, tortured. Oh, but I was forced to kill, to torture, to disappear. And I want to get paid because I was forced. We want nothing to do with them. What do we have to say to them? Nothing. Nada. Oh 